Good morning. I'd like to continue on this morning um, with a series that I've been going through, and uh, if you've been here, you've, uh, I've, this, is, this will be the fourth sermon, and uh, it's all based around uh, helping us all understand the Primitive Baptist doctrine. Why is it that we believe what we believe? Because you may find yourself in situations, uh, and I think I've mentioned already, you know, especially in the you young people coming up dating, you may, uh, you may find somebody that you're interested in that doesn't believe what we believe, and you need to be uh, able to uh, teach it and to explain it and um, defend it if necessary. And you don't need to just take my word for it or Brother Tim's word for it. You need to be able to uh, explain it and uh, convince yourself of it. Um, I don't know if this has been very profitable for you all, but uh, I don't know that there's anybody in here that is more convinced of what we believe is Primitive Baptist than I am. But just me going through it, um, it has, um, I hate to say convinced me more because I don't know that you could, but it has definitely uh, revived me and, and given me just a better footing and a foundation on what we believe. And if there was a part of me that I didn't recognize that needed convincing, I'm even more convinced um, because I'm letting the scriptures speak. I'm not throwing in my preconceived notions or my own feelings or ideas. I'm just letting the scriptures say what they say. We went through uh, the first three. We went through the that I feel like this is the best systematic way to go through it. Uh, we started with the authority of God's word that we've got to submit to that first. Uh, if you've got two people that one believes in the authority of God's word and one does not, you're not going to get very far. Uh, if you have uh, the second was to believe in the sovereignty of God. Uh, not that God is controlling everything, but that God is in control. And then whatever God pleases to do, he will do it and nobody can stop it. Um, and that he is not unrighteous for doing things in his sovereignty that we may not necessarily understand with human reasoning. Um, the third sermon was on depravity. How man in his fallen state is spiritually dead and unable to come to God. Now listen... Usually when I stand up here and preach to you guys, I preach for about 25 minutes. There are seven, uh, there are uh, probably seven topics that I cover in understanding the doctrine, unless one of them goes long and I've got to divide it up. Seven times 25 minutes each puts you at just under three hours. Okay. Now, I know how we spend our time during the week. I know what your phone tells you about your screen time. I understand binge watching. I understand movies that are long. Look, three hours is not much. The most, if I don't hush, I'll, this will, it will end up being eight, okay? <laughs> but the most beneficial time I've ever had studying God's Word was I took about a year. And I dedicated a year of, I would... Uh, maybe a little bit over a year, but uh, this was when I was uh, pretty new to the Primitive Baptist Church, and I sat down with my Bible, and um, I went through every Sonny Pyle sermon I could find, mainly because he, was, uh, he had just a tremendous understanding of the Scriptures. He could rightly divide them, and he could take something from Habakkuk and apply it to Revelations, and he had a gift of tying Scriptures together, that uh, unlike any I'd ever heard. And, and some of you will absolutely amen that. 
And I went through and listened to all of those sermons as well as going through and reading my Bible but uh, from start to finish. But as I, as I was reading, listening to his sermons by myself in the quiet, I made so many notes in my Bible how, how this verse ties to this verse and, and back and forth and back and forth. And I think I listened to 435 sermons. He's got a whole lot more than that, but that's the ones that I could come up with. And I listened to 435 sermons. And I go back through now in my Bible, and I see a note that I made about a particular scripture, and I have no memory that I made that note. But all I've got to do is read that note and maybe look at a cross-reference I've made, and it all comes back to me. That was the most benefit. I grew more in spiritual knowledge during that time than any other time in my life. Three hours. If you guys will take time to sit down for three hours, spread it out. I know you're listening to podcasts. I know you're listening to music. And in the day of going down the road listening to sermons, it might be a good idea if you've got a mind to and you're interested in that. They're on the podcast, but they're not really labeled and broken down in parts. It might be tricky to find them. I'll compile them for you. Part one, part all the way down to part seven. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're having to explain some of these things, you can pop that CD in or maybe we can load it up on the podcast and you can go through them. Lay out your Bible and convince yourselves. Okay, because I'm going basically, I'm simply going by the scriptures. And I also think it would be profitable once I'm done with all this, um, if the Lord continues to lead me, is to take some of the hard verses that people will throw back at you and continue on with this series. For example, how does a primitive Baptist handle John 3.16? How does a primitive Baptist handle a verse that says uh, something about all men? We We need to be able to handle those things. So, now let me hush about all that and let me go into the, uh, the fourth topic today, and that is the topic of election. Now, we've talked about, again, the authority of God's word, the sovereignty of God, and total depravity. Foolish might be a strong word, but it would be extremely unwise and very unprofitable in talking about what we believe to somebody that doesn't understand it and start with election. You can't run them off any quicker, okay? But if you lay the groundwork of the authority of God's word and the sovereignty of God and depravity, and remember, the beginning of these are very bitter, but the end of it is very sweet. So you have, don't jump right into election. If somebody says, hey, what do you believe is primitive Baptist? And the only word you can come up with is election, just walk away. Don't say anything, okay? Because listen, I've been on both sides of this. I've been on both sides of this, and too many times I had people that would come try to talk to me about it, and that's where they started. And it just, you know, it's like, no, it it is so contrary to to human reasoning unless you understand the things we've already talked about. So you need the groundwork of these other things to really get people into understanding election. What, What is election? Now, let me, I'm gonna pull my phone out. Because I want to read this definition from the Bible. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, verse 4, this is what Paul writes here. He says, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Okay, so election is a biblical word. Whether you like it or don't like it, it's in there. And this is what the definition of election means based on uh, the Strong's Concordance. The act of picking out or choosing. 
the act of God's free will by which before the foundation of the world, he decreed his blessings to certain persons through grace, through Christ by grace alone. All right, that's just like Brother Sonny says, that's hard to misunderstand. You'd have to have help misunderstanding that. Election is the act of choosing. Okay, God's free will and, and um, sovereignty in choosing and making something his own. Now, where I left you last time was this. I left you with a very nasty view of what depravity is. Depravity being fallen man having no desire for God. And I, I, don't, I don't want to go back and reprove that to you. Again, go back and listen to the last sermon. It's in there. It's biblical that man in his fallen state will not, cannot come to God unless God does something special for him. Okay, so here you have a, what is, and what is a sovereign God going to do with that? What is a sovereign God going to do with an entire race of man who has fallen into a state rendering him unable to come, rendering them unable to come to him? What's he going to do with that? How is he going to navigate through that? Is he going to start over? Is he going to destroy them all? Destroy Satan? Start back with a new garden and, and you know, Adam and Eve 2.0? What's he going to do? How's he going to handle that? The Bible teaches that he made a choice. Now, I think I may have told you this before, but I had another preacher relay this story to me years ago. And let me preface it with this. Is God a God of choice? Is God a God of choice? This preacher relayed to me, he had a, a man and woman come to his church and visit for the first time. And they came, and then they came again, and, and it may be a third time, and he had a mind to go and visit them, okay? And he, he was telling me when he went into it, to, to the visit, he did, he probably had a mindset like some of us have that the question's going to come up, what's the difference between primitive Baptist and other, you know, all this, and there was probably just a little bit of a knot in his stomach because sometimes people are not very receptive to that. And he began to talk to these people and, you know, he's trying to explain it and he kind of expected them maybe to say, well, I don't believe any of that. We won't be back. Well, the woman said, she said, let me tell you, she said, I grew up in an atheist household. Neither my mom or my dad believed in God. We didn't have a Bible in our house. There was no talk of God. Zero. And she said, one day <clears throat> I became curious about God and I picked up the Bible and I started at the very beginning and I began reading through the Bible. And she said, when I was done reading the Old Testament, the only conclusion that I could come to is that God is a God of choice. And if and I've preached a sermon before, God, the chooser, you ought to, I don't know, it's on the podcast, go back and listen to it. At all the different times, God made a choice for one, but not another. It's clear. I mean, the, the most glaring example is obviously Israel. Think about Israel. The Lord said, I'm choosing Israel. You will be a peculiar people unto me. You are chosen. I'm choosing you. I'm giving you the commandments and laws of God. I'm not giving them to the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites. I'm not giving it to all of them. I'm giving them to you. You are my special chosen nation. Is God a God of choice? 
What about when the Israelites went into bondage to Egypt and these terrible plagues come on that land? Do you remember when you read through the Bible that when all of these terrible things were happening to the Egyptians, the Bible says that a dog didn't even wag his tongue against the Israelites. In the midst of all this, guess what? The Lord was discriminatory. These were his people. And in the midst of that, he protected them. But he didn't protect Egypt. He protected them. Now, what about when they come out of Egypt? When they come out of Egypt and he has directed them to go into the promised land, they cross the Jordan River. The first thing waiting on them there is the city of Jericho. He goes to his people and he says, you will be victorious. I'm telling you how to defeat them. He did not say, here is how you will defeat Jericho and then run over here to Jericho and say, okay, listen, I'm going to tell you too, just to be fair, here is how you can defeat Israel. He didn't do that. Now we would say, well, that's mighty unfair. Well, I'm sorry, we're not sovereign. He said, Israel, I will fight for you, but I will not fight for Jericho because I have chosen you. God is a God of choice. Now, when a sovereign God looks at a depraved, fallen human race, can he make a choice? Did he make a choice? Is he unrighteous in making a choice? Again, don't ask me. Let's look at what the Bible says. <clears throat> Some people will say this. Some people will say that um, God looked at the depravity of man and the fallen state of man and in his sovereignty, he said, I will give you the option of choosing me. You get me? The way out of your fallen state is to choose me. Well, listen, we've already covered that. That's why sermon number three was depravity. Because what does the Bible teach us? Here's what they will say. I will set up a method of salvation where you... In your condemned, fallen state, who is destined for hell, you can choose me. And here's how I'll set it up. I'll send preachers to preach the gospel to you, to tell you about your sin and your wickedness and the, 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 the torment and the depths of hell and about a wonderful, loving Savior who died for the sins of, of you and you can, you can just choose him. I'll send preachers to preach to him. But what did the Bible say? What does, not Luke, what does the Bible say? The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. It won't work. In their fallen condemned state, the gospel will not affect them. Now, it might make them mad. Okay, scratch that off our list. What about this? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send the Holy Spirit down to them. And I'll just, in, the, in a way that we don't fully understand, I, the Holy Spirit will just whisper in their ear. I'll just bypass the preacher. Because maybe a preacher can't get to them. I'll bypass the preacher. I'll send the Holy Spirit just to whisper in their ear and say, you're a sinner. And you need to believe in me. You need to accept me. You need to do these things. You need to choose me. But what does the Bible say? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. 
So we can scratch those two off our list immediately. Because in their dead, fallen state, preaching doesn't affect them. The Spirit of God doesn't affect them. When it just, in, in the sense that He just whispers an offer to them. So what method of salvation did He choose? This is where election comes in. Election. Now, let me read that to you again now that I've said this. The act of choose, picking out and choosing, the act of God's free will by which before the foundation of the world he decreed his blessings to certain people through grace, through Christ, by grace alone. Now, let's look at this. <clears throat> Election is God choosing Israel, but not choosing Egypt. That's election. What about when it comes to our salvation? It is God choosing a people, but not choosing all people. Ooh, now that one stung a little bit, didn't it? Ooh, I don't know about that. That sounds mighty unfair. Let's back up to the authority of God's word and to the sovereignty of God. And we're going to get to this question right here uh, that the Bible asks, is there unrighteousness with God? And it says, God forbid. What does God forbid mean? Listen, in my own definition, that is the absolute strongest way you could possibly say absolutely not. Absolutely not. Again, sovereignty of God. Was there unrighteousness with God when he sent somebody to Naaman, but not all the lepers? Was there unrighteousness with God when he sent somebody to the widow, but not all the widows that were in the famine? Was there unrighteousness with God when he did miracles in Capernaum, but he wouldn't do them in another city? Was that unfair and unrighteous? God forbid, because he is a sovereign God. And we're not worthy of the very least of his mercies. And who are we to say, God, don't you know who I am? How dare you do this here and not do this here? Well, brothers and sisters, your problem is not with election. Your problem, problem is with the sovereignty of God. Now, <clears throat> you say, all right, Brother Luke, I hear you. But I got you. I got you pinned back in a corner here because I'm fixing to bring a heavy hand against you and destroy everything you're saying. You're saying because the election that you're talking about was simply for the Jewish people. It only applied to the Jews and the Old Testament, but we're going to transfer over to the New Testament and you won't read about election in the New Testament. What you read about is God making, changing a way of salvation and all of a sudden making all the Gentiles able to, to come to Him. Choose Him. Well, again, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. That's in the New Testament. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. That's in the New Testament. So let me tear down the idea that this was only for the Jewish people when you read about election. How, how are we going to do that in the Bible? Number one, <clears throat> I believe it's in Romans, the ninth chapter. It may not be. <clears throat> There's a couple verses in the Bible. One of them says this. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. What is that saying? Just because you are a Jew by nationality does not make you a Jew spiritually. Because the Bible says he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he is with the circumcision of the flesh. He is a Jew 
which is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart. You see, when you read about the Jews in the New Testament, there is a teaching there where he references all of his people as Jews. I am not a Jew on paper. I'm not a Jew on the outside. But for all of God's people that have been born again by the Spirit of God and there's a circumcision of the heart, he lists you and labels you as a Jew inwardly. Now, if that's not enough to tear that down, here's where I would go. This is probably actually where I would start. In the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> see, I'm going kind of fast. That's why you need to sit down by yourself. Pause it. Read through it. Make notes. Ephesians, in the first chapter, it says this. According as he hath chosen us, there's the election, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. There's a New Testament verse that is speaking about election. Now, again, well, Brother Luke, that's just talking about the Jews. Do you know three different, uh, what is the book of Ephesians? Five or six chapters? Three different times in the book of Ephesians, Paul addresses them as Gentiles. Do you hear me? Paul is writing to Gentiles in the church at Ephesus, and he says, Mr. Gentile, he hath chosen you in him before the foundation of the world. Does God's election transcend the Old Testament and filter all through the New Testament? Absolutely. Amen. This is not an Old Testament idea. This is God's way from start to finish. Because God in his wisdom is smart enough to realize that fallen, corrupt man would never choose him. So he chose them. Did he choose them all? No. Did he choose a multitude that no man can number? Yes. Is it a small few? No. The Bible says it is a multitude that no man can number. Now, on what basis did he make this choosing? Here's another very common place for people to get confused. On what make basis did he do this choosing? Let's look back at Romans 9 again. You ask me, is election taught in the New Testament? Yes. Romans the ninth chapter. <clears throat> In verse 11, it says, this is speaking of Jacob and Esau, it says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. Some people say, well, God looked down through time. He saw who would choose him. We've already deflated that idea. Man does not choose God in a fallen, corrupt state. I can't rehash that again. I've done it enough. Man does not choose God in a fallen, corrupt state. God did not look down through time and say, well... Luke did pretty good. He was, you know, he was a little bit kinder in his fallen corrupt state than this guy was. So I'll make him one of my people. No. Before either one having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to what? Election might stand not of works. That means not of anything we do but of him that calleth. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't have to be any more clear for me. That is as clear as it could possibly be. Now, 
Let's go back to this. It says, It was said unto the, to her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Next verse. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? For choosing Jacob and not Esau. God forbid. There's no stronger way to say that. God forbid. Now, I'm out of time. Let me leave you with this. If this has stung you a little bit, if this is something that you don't fully understand and you've got, this has wounded you, let me give you some salve, if you will, to put on it. There is not a person that has ever existed in the, in, in, in the womb at conception up to the oldest person that has ever died. There is not a single person that has ever had a desire to be one of God's that was not one of God's. Do you hear me? There is no person that exists that has never that has ever wanted to be saved that was not saved already. When the judgment comes, folks, when when God comes and his wrath is poured out on the wicked, there is not a beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl standing there saying, "Well, I wish I would have been one of the Lord's, but he didn't choose me." That does not exist. That scenario never exists. Because and we'll get to this on down the road in the series of these sermons But if you have a desire to be the Lord's, that is because he has already made you his. And the proof of it is that he went. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself that he took that dead alien sinner and he put something inside of them against their rebellious will that feels for him and longs for him and wants him. And they don't always even understand it. There are people in in the far, far corners of this earth in countries where the gospel has never been preached that he does that for that man couldn't even get to, but he's done that for. They don't even know his name, but they have a desire for something that is bigger than them to, and and the law was written in their heart and they love him and they want to serve him and no gospel has ever been there. That person is not left out when the Lord comes back. Because God knows his people. What, is the, what does it say? My mind's going crazy. I won't even be able to quote it. But the Lord knows them that are his. And we need to trust in that. So if you have been wounded by this, thinking, oh, you know, I, I met a guy one time. I'll close, I promise I'll close it. I met a guy one time that said this. He said, he said, I don't do church. Which I understand sometimes. Because the church... Not this church, but the modern church has failed. I get it. I see a lot of modern day churches out there and praise God. And I know some of the rest of you feel this way. If the Lord had not have sent us to Bethlehem, I don't know that I'd go to church. Because I was done with it. He said, I don't do church, but I love the Lord. There's a lot of doctrines out there that will say that man's going to burn in hell. This doctrine right here says absolutely not. This is the most inclusive doctrine you will ever hear. Doctrines that say man has to choose God, they leave out a multitude of people that election brings right into the arms of God. 
Do you see how the bitterness is starting to get a little sweeter? You just wait till the end of it. You just wait till the end of it when the Lord stands there and says, Behold, I and the children that thou hast given me. Just wait till we get there. That's the sweetest thing at the end of this matter. Thank you for giving me just a little bit more time. And y'all play for Brother Tim as he, as he comes. <laughs>